0: This wonderful book, um, which the cover fell off last homily, uh, called Brave New World. You can see it on the little, you know, little tiny print right here. And it's written in the 1930s, 1931. The context of it is that it is this utopian book, but it's actually, as you read through it, it's a piece of a dystopia, really, but it portrays it as a utopia. This brave new world that we live in, this world of science, but written in 1930, 1931, the atmosphere, the the climate, the moral climate was that contraception, the pill, was being discussed, or or rather contraception, sorry, before the pill, but contraception in general, was being discussed as morally licit. you know, whether this is something that can morally be accepted, and of course the Catholic Church would say no, and but at this time in the 30s, it's gonna be the Anglican church that will say, Yeah, we think that we'll allow with the Anglican Church. And we kind of see how the Anglican Church has, has split in a totally different way than what it is now, the Anglican or Episcopalian Church. But the premise of the book in Brave New World is similar to the premise of like what's happening. In the culture and the premise is this is that for the bedrock of this culture is that all the women wear these Methusian um, belts, I think is what they're called, and really they're, they're contraceptives. And because of this contraceptive mentality, everybody is a test tube baby, um, natural births don't happen. But what it does is that the contraception caused a rift between pleasure and responsibility to where everything in the culture reflects this, where we want to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. And so, on every different level, everybody has, if you're a test tube baby, you have a certain role, a certain genetic blueprint that you have to fill a certain role within that society. Um, The idea of like going out and seeing nature or reading books or playing musical instruments is downplayed in the society, and just simple media entertainment and watching and participating in sports is upgraded in the society. Monogamy is not allowed in the brave new world either. What's allowed is, and what's encouraged, is the constant shifting of sexual partners. So that the idea is that everyone belongs to one another, and that what particular relationships do such as marriage or just particular friendships is that it causes a rift it causes jealousy between the society in the society at large and this causes pain and one of the highlights of society is that while they're trying to maximize pleasure and minimize pain there still are some of these human desires that can't be quenched. And so whenever someone has a desire, either for bravery, you know, for true romance, intimacy, whatever that might be, what the Brave New World will prescribe to the person is a pill, and it's called Soma. And it's sort of like, um, maybe like we would have like an opioid or something like that. It puts somebody on a trip for 24, 48, even a week. People don't even take vacations in the brave new world. They go on so vacations. They just take this pill and are pretty much sedated for up to a week at a time until they can get back to industry. Because the god that they worship, uh, funnily enough, is Ford, you know, Henry Ford. What they've done is that they've taken all the religious books off the shelf and they've put books about manufacturing and industry onto the shelves of the libraries. And so why do I bring that up? I mean, it's obviously a very prophetic book in the sense that while we don't have SOMA, so to speak, we do have our smartphones, which acts like a SOMA, and that reduces human desire and and curbs that. And while we don't have, while we still do have monogamy, we do have the hookup culture where everyone kind of belongs to everyone. We get what we want out of each other, but no intimacy or responsibility is required, and no pain, therefore, is attributed to that. Everything is casual. But the reason why I'm bringing it up in this particular gospel is because a lot of times we can see the resurrection as this kind of soma, this kind of escape from reality, as if Jesus came back from the dead to say, all that crucifixion and suffering business, that was something, but here's a nice warm blanket to cover yourself with. The resurrection from the dead. This thing, this reality, this fantastic reality that now everything is fine. And I'd like to kind of debunk it, or at least if we can even look at, right now we're two weeks into Easter you've looked at maybe your own habits after Lent and fallen out of Lent and penances, you still realize that reality remains reality. That if I've given up sweets or something for, for Lent and then I dive right back in and it's like, hey, it's least there's no consequence. And you still put on five pounds, you know? Or if, you know, if it was alcohol, like you still got inebriated, you know? Like regret, reality, all of that still exists. And so what Jesus says when he rises from the dead and he goes to his disciples is he doesn't foster this kind of individual happiness that's fostered in the brave new world. The whole idea of the brave new world is that you minimize pain, you maximize pleasure so that you don't have to depend upon anyone else but you. What you have is these casual relationships that you can at least imitate intimacy with, and you have your soma to curb any further desires that you might have for great things that would also cause great suffering if you were to obtain them. Christ doesn't rise from the dead and give the disciples a warm blanket. What he does is that he rises from the dead, he shows them his wounds, but after he does that, He doesn't say, just simply rest in me and be at peace. He doesn't give the warm blanket. What he says, after all this, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. And what does being a witness look like? We heard about it in the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, how Peter is a witness. If you read Acts of the Apostles, it's certainly not maybe the way that we might be accustomed to celebrating Easter. It's like, all right, we swung the pendulum one way for Lent, time to swing the pendulum the other way for Easter. You know, where are like, I'm not celebrating Easter right unless I have a broken couch, right? Like, that's not the idea of what happens in the Acts of the Apostles. What they do is that they're constantly in this pendulum swing, a different kind of pendulum swing, going from preaching the gospel and rejoicing in preaching the gospel and doing healing and miracles to now being imprisoned again and being ridiculed. It's this great drama that's going back and forth, this inescapable joy and suffering. In the book of Brave New World, there's this one man who is an outlier in the Brave New World. He's only known by this as the savage. Because he's the one man who is born of natural birth. He's not born in the test tube. And he goes out of the civilization of the Brave New World to visit the Indians, these people who still live with natural birth, they still have diseases, they still have poverty. And he's in toward the end of the book a conversation with the man who is called the controller. The man who organizes and orchestrates the Society of the Brave New World like a puppeteer. And at the end of the book, this is the way that the conversation that he has with the controller goes. Because the controller is the one who replaces the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the imitation of Christ, all these religious books, with books about Henry Ford. He's trying; He replaces God with Henry Ford. And the end of this conversation goes like this. The savage says, but I like the inconveniences. And the the controller replies, we don't like the inconveniences. We prefer to do things comfortably. The savage replies, but I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. In fact, said the controller, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. All right then, said the savage defiantly, I'm claiming the right to be unhappy. Not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. There was a long silence. I claim them all, said the savage at last. I claim them all. What Christ certainly has done in his passion is that he has claimed them all. He has claimed the right to be unhappy, the right to suffer ridicule, the right to suffer punishment. And the disciples who are now witnesses of these things, we read in the Acts of the Apostles, claim them all as well. Because they are not content to remain in the comfort of the upper room where Jesus confronts them and says, peace be with you. Christ calls them to be witnesses because Christ, who is risen from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, still remains present on earth in us, his mystical body. He still remains linked to us by his incarnation, by taking on human flesh. And so he will not rest to just simply and let his disciples rest simply in the upper room until they are witnesses of these things and bring about the whole human race into communion with God the Father. We are witnesses of these things, the passion of Christ, claiming them all. Because this individual happiness, this kind of sedating that happens with the Soma in the brave new world, is simply not possible. Now the savage said, I want freedom, I want God, what the brave new world tries to do is that it acknowledges the desire for God and then it suppresses it because it's too dangerous to go after. It's too dangerous to seek the face of Christ. And so, in becoming witnesses to these things, we acknowledge that the happiness in this world, at least the satisfaction in this world, is not present until the whole world is brought to conversion, because we desire communion with the whole world. We desire to be witnesses of these things so that, they can have, so that the world can have communion with us, with the Father, and with the Son. And so we ask the Lord that with the savage, that we can desire great things, that we can claim the right to be unhappy for ourselves, claim the right to experience discomfort, claim the right to experience ridicule, claim the right to be like the apostles who are witnesses to the world, and so show the face of Christ his passion and his death and resurrection, and not be stifled by the world's desire to sedate us with the pleasures of this world, and in a hopeless way, avoid the face of God, avoid his son, Jesus Christ.